in between episode 14. What if Amazon contracted directly with employers and rebooted healthcare delivery? Here's my take on that thought experiment. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Last week, I had lunch with Richard Steinhardt, episode 149, for those of you so inclined. Anyway, I had lunch with Richard last week, and he said something that sparked my cantankerous streak in a big way. We were talking about incrementalism, this idea that we should move forward in baby steps, little experiments, fail fast, adjust, proceed from there. And Richard said, incrementalism, pshaw, we should just start over. And let me just clarify one point. Often incrementalism, those speaking of continuous improvement, are are talking about finding a better intervention for treating or preventing something specific. Richard was speaking about how healthcare is delivered in the aggregate. Maybe this, hmm, we should just reboot. Maybe that idea just tickled my imagination more because of employers. Yes, employers. And I had this epiphany, maybe because of the work that Aventria has been doing with employers of late. And in a coincidence that's probably more a zeitgeist than a coincidence, I just finished reading Dave Chase's excellent, soon-to-be-released book for employers called the CEO's Guide to Restoring the American Dream, and wait, there is a subhead, which is how to deliver world-class healthcare to your employees at half the cost. Anyway, Richard's idea for the reboot was, wouldn't it be great if Amazon, for example, would buy a hospital and just rebuild it from the ground up? Actually, not even buy a hospital, just build a hospital. And when I say hospital, I mean more a system of care. What would Amazon do differently if we could just start all over again? In contemplating what Richard said, I I started thinking about the human tendency called the endowment effect or the divestiture, what's it called? The divestiture aversion problem. We all, as humans, have a tendency to overvalue the things just because we own them. If you lose conviction, but you refuse to change because of past investments or sunk costs, then you become misaligned from our own vision, and we officially start doing things for the wrong reasons. So, you know, I started to think about this. Is our conviction that the current healthcare system is going to produce results? Does that exist? The classic question is, if you knew what you know now, back before we all invested the time and energy and money into creating what's been created, if you knew what we know now, would you just do something different? Because if we're thinking to ourselves, wow, if I could go back in time before we got into this mess, I would think, no way, I would have totally gone in a different direction, then probably the sunk costs or this divestiture aversion is at play. 
you know, we're overvaluing what we have just because we've invested so much in what we've got so far. The answer to the classic question to determine whether we are experiencing this uh, divestiture aversion would lead us to believe that we should reboot. And despite my relatively unrehearsed, well, completely unrehearsed explanation I just gave there, if I apply that classic question to a lot of the ways that healthcare is delivered, maybe a reboot is in order. Trust me, this will circle around to employers in a sec, but I started thinking about, wow, just take that example for a sec. What if Amazon got into the delivery of medical care like they're getting into the delivery of, of pharmacy right now? I just read an article on LinkedIn recently about Amazon getting into the pharmacy business, how the CEO of CVS and Walgreens kind of poo-pooed the entrance and, and Amazon's ability to succeed. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, how great would it be if you can ask Alexa to refill your med? And it reminded me of, of something that Kevin Ashton, I heard Kevin Ashton say about how when he was consulting with one of the big original dumb phone, you know, flip phone manufacturers, one of the CEOs of was like Nokia or Motorola saw the brand spanking new iPhone one. The CEO's comment was, eh, it doesn't have a very good microphone. You know, the industry is thinking that Amazon won't succeed because of all of the vested interests that Walgreens and CVS and other players within the marketplace have with insurers and payers. Like that is their armor against disruption, disregarding Amazon's ability to make an awesome user experience and that Amazon has zero sunk costs. They can start from the very beginning and create something which is based on the needs of the patient. Because if you think about it, all of these third-party payer value-based agreements, at least at this juncture, I can see how they certainly serve certain stakeholders, those third-party agreements, but does it really give the patient better care and better outcomes when Adherence, for example, has been and still remains a giant issue in this country. Whether patients understanding being educated about their medication still remains a giant issue. If you start thinking about the services that Amazon, for example, could provide to advance patient care, really, then some of these arguments and rationales by some of these executives start to crumble. I am a huge fan of pharmacies and pharmacists and their ability to provide greater advanced care in this country. I think they've been an underutilized resource for a, a super long time and that needs to change. But the fact that these vested pharmacist interests are rolling their eyes, it's like commence eyeball rolling sequence now at the prospect of one of these inarguably masters at serving their customers' needs, moving in on the scene. I don't know, maybe it was just posturing for shareholders. But let's just think about, so say that similarly to their, let's just say cautious approach to, to pharmacy, Amazon bought a health system. What would that look like? I'm like a little bit giddy, with the prospect, but you know, maybe it looks kind of like an Amazon website. 
you know, it shows this amazing list of recommendations. So if I'm a patient if I and I want to make an appointment, I log on to a website that looks like Amazon and, you know, maybe I type in what I think I need, just similar to what I do now. I think I need to go see a doctor. I desperately attempt to find one. Maybe instead of that, I go onto a front end that looks like the Amazon website. I type in exactly what I would be, I don't know, searching for online anyway and health grades or wherever I'm searching. And what pops up is maybe a list of not only physicians, but other services that might be available that I could check out first. You know, maybe there's some algorithm I can walk through or some sort of shared decision making asset that might be appropriate for me because I have already been diagnosed, for example. It could be people who also typed in what you just typed in also bought these things and show that list. So it gets that community aspect in there. I I would love to have a a roundtable where it would be exciting to kind of brainstorm how to take all the technology that Amazon already figured out and apply it into the health setting. And nothing for nothing with Amazon's recent purchase of Whole Foods and them getting into the brick and mortar setting that that gets them even closer to this idea of an online and an offline hybrid kind of business. The idea that you can use online to more effectively find things. Here's one consumer's needs assessment, meaning my needs assessment. (laughs) Think about this example in the context of the Amazon health system hybrid online offline possible future that I just talked about. I was in the grocery store the other day trying to find a bottle of liquid smoke. Don't even ask me why. But I was in there for 20 minutes walking around trying to locate this bottle of of liquid smoke. And you know what I was thinking to myself? Wow, if I had planned a little bit in advance, because Amazon now has two-hour delivery in New York City or same-day delivery, I could have ordered this on Amazon in 10 seconds, just typed in liquid smoke, and it would arrive at my doorstep. Meanwhile, this is super frustrating. I'm asking people where the heck they keep their liquid smoke, not getting a good answer. Aisle three, aisle seven. Amazon is going to fix this liquid smoke problem in the grocery setting. I have no doubt. And in the process of doing so, they're going to set the standard of expectation for consumers in a way that they've already set it for the consumer experience overall. No denying that Amazon is eating the lunch of retail stores today. What are the ramifications if they start actually entering into that space, an online and an offline hybrid space, even more directly? This is analogous in a giant way to the healthcare industry in this country, especially as we move into a more consumeristic version. I'll tell you, if there was some institution that had a, a front end that was very robust and that could guide me quickly and easily to exactly the, not only the human resources, you know, the the physicians and, and the care team that I might need, but also the community resources that might be available. Think about social determinants of health. I mean, Amazon can figure out what kind of pants I like. I'm, I am 100% certain that they know <laughs> what my income is and probably know better than I do what I might need. If we consider putting those 
massive algorithms to work, I am sure they can figure out that I am food insecure. And I am entirely sure that they could be very aware of the community resources that might be available that I could take advantage of or some sort of transportation or even hook up. This person's got a car and this person needs a ride, maybe they can help each other. I feel almost giddy kind of thinking about the idea of rebooting that, which brings me back to employers. Because one of the things that becomes really stark if you start to delve into how we got where we are now, and I've probably done four podcasts about this in the in-between episodes, so if you're interested, go back and listen to those. But it's pretty clear that there are three stakeholders, which really wind up being one, all pieces of the same stakeholder. But there's only three stakeholders that really have an actual vested interest in keeping healthcare value high. And by that, I mean the highest possible outcomes at the lowest possible cost. And those three stakeholders, which are actually one, are employers, taxpayers, and consumers or patients. Of those, there's probably one stakeholder who has the power, let's just say, in the marketplace at this time to really make a difference, and that is large employers. Employers in the U.S. provide healthcare coverage for about 60% of the U.S. working age population, and healthcare costs remain a top priority for companies in 2017 and beyond. Large employers are really starting, and small ones as well, I can, if I speak for myself, really starting to consider that healthcare costs are our second largest expense after payroll, usually. I mean, you think about Starbucks. Starbucks spends more on healthcare than they do on coffee beans. And that is true across the board. Healthcare costs have escalated so high that it's not even that some astute CFO started to nickel and dime. These costs are a sledgehammer that are slamming this country's ability really even to compete within the global economy. One of the reasons why manufacturing, for example, or other labor intensive operations in this country are uncompetitive as compared to elsewhere in the world is because U.S. companies have to deal with these crazy high uh, healthcare costs that don't necessarily provide an outcome which is commensurate with that cost. So you've got these large employers that have a lot of power or could within the marketplace who are starting, I would say, in a big way. I think we've hit an inflection point. These large employers are really starting to motivate to become much more involved and engaged with the care that their employees receive. As one example of this, there, there's this new Health Transformation Alliance, if you haven't heard about it. It began with Caterpillar, well, you know, obviously a large employer in this country, and, and Caterpillar got together with more than three dozen large self-insured companies and, and basically formed this large health transformation alliance, which represents, I'm sure, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives, although I just am intuiting that number. I don't really know what it is. Regardless, that represents a powerful negotiating force. And they're using their power in order to cut through a lot of the system gaming 
maybe is the best way to call it, which has been perpetuated and just compounding over the years amongst pharmacy benefit managers, payers, and providers, nothing for nothing. So I bring up employers because thinking back to that Amazon thought experiment (laughs) that I just went through, if you start to think about who is going to be the investors behind or who's going to fund Amazon's foray into the health system marketplace, I have a feeling optimally it's going to be employers. And they might have added incentive just given the recent news about Tom Price instead of continuously improving the bundled payments and value-based payment certain value-based payment programs has decided to show us what cronyism looks like and put the kibosh on them. So if you start thinking about who is going to be behind such a reboot, as I just mentioned, it's probably going to be employers. Because employers are, at this juncture, the only major stakeholder who has both the immense incentive as well as the wherewithal to say, you know what, let's build a system of care. Let's let's build a way to, to treat patients from the ground up. They don't have to deal with third party, any of this third party business. They would contract directly with this system of care, whatever they, they call it, that they have created with the interest of providing the highest patient outcomes for their employees at the absolute lowest cost. I would love to see some of these business alliances and business associations, which are across the the country, really banding together and figuring out what it would cost, what it would take to construct a healthcare system. I mean, maybe it's just at a primary care level, but that really reboots the paradigm that we've established in this country today. And I think it's already kind of started. There are a number of large employers in this country. I would go as far to say is that the majority of large employers in this country who have a base of operation that includes a significant number of employees all in one place, most of those organizations do have an on-site clinic. And those on-site clinics are becoming more and more robust in the services that they offer directly to the employees that are within that immediate geographic area. So an employee can go downstairs and get vision care. They could get a primary care appointment. They could get physical therapy. Usually there's a pharmacy. And the reason that those employers are doing it is I haven't seen an actual number on this, although I, I should get some. But those on-site clinics can cut massive, let's just say extraneous costs out of employee care. Like for example, within any service that any employee gets that is paid for by a third-party payer, 20% of that, let's just say on average, is administrative costs. So, you know, cross that off or cross it off in, in in a significant way at least right out of the gate. Furthermore, there's a a huge incentive to provide evidence-based care as opposed to reimbursement-based care, which, you know, everyone agrees is rampant in this country. And another benefit, which I do not want to overlook at all, is the one for physicians and the healthcare providers themselves. There's been so much talk, rightfully so, lately about how unappreciated, undermined, underpaid, whatever, depends who you talk to, what adjective you might use, that physicians 
feel in this country, that pajama time means sitting around catching up on your EHR tasks. That's no good. And so I, I feel like your average in-clinic physician is also sort of a victim of how we've gotten where we've gotten today and, and this kind of divorce between patient care and serving industry needs. If you start thinking about the needs and desires of an employer who's interested in providing the best possible care for their employees and what that care looks like, in many ways, it's time spent with patients to really listen and understand exactly what their concerns are and get them expeditiously to the right place. I'm going to suggest that that's what most physicians also desire. But based on reimbursement incentives, and in certain cases, shamefully, their own financial incentives, a physician gets paid a whole lot more money if they can recommend a whole bunch of tests and procedures that they're going to wind up being paid for, or if their health system is incenting them to do these tests and procedures, which may be unnecessary. And they don't have the time to sit with a patient and explain, you know, just read anything about direct primary care and you will find pretty quickly a lot of research which suggests that simply having the time to spend with patients and to go through shared decision making and explain why getting the six MRIs for your lower back pain might not be the best way to go and why physical therapy produces just as good outcomes as an opioid. You know, like we got ourselves into a world of hurt in this country because physicians simply do not have the time to spend with patients educating and working with them to understand how to best solve those patient issues. Employers don't just have skin in the game. They have entire body parts. <laughs> That sounded morbid. Probably should have thought through that metaphor further. And I really want to put the battle cry out there to employers because my fear is that within the context of the current healthcare system, if any other stakeholder, any other profit-driven stakeholder or stakeholder that's not tethered directly to the needs of the patient attempts the reboot, this system is so corrupting it's so corrupting. It's corrupted at the highest levels with Tom Price and his cronyism problems trying to serve as the secretary of HHS and have his wife run his medical practice and all his insider trading, potentially, allegedly, making decisions that serve his business interests, potentially. I fear that any entity in isolation will wind up being driven by the same forces that have gotten us where we are today. But employers have a bigger, a larger call. Healthcare is a means to an end for them. And the end is exactly aligned with what good healthcare looks like. Because of that, I feel like they are less susceptible to tolerating reimbursement-driven care, wild inefficiencies, not fixing things or situations which clearly denigrate patient care simply because there's no reimbursement there. So many employers have said that their number one asset are their employees and the talent that exists within those organizations. Employees are a competitive advantage. Employers need healthy, productive employees. So maybe this entire podcast is a plea to 
employers to contemplate their level of divestiture aversion and apply some of the excellent, amazing feats that they have managed to accomplish within their core businesses to manage healthcare costs to the advantage of their employees and the rest of us who can learn from the paradigms that they create. If anyone has any thoughts on this, I would love to hear them. Please hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.